This week on the podcast, we're going to be talking about the works of mercy and how Christians can model the outwardly uh, sacrificial, loving actions of Jesus and how those bring God's grace more fully to us. Welcome to Table Talk with Mike and Angela. Welcome to Table Talk with Mike and Angela, a weekly conversation focused on helping you understand more about the Bible, faith, and what it means to live a faithful life. And now, here are your hosts, Pastors Mike Holly and Angela Martin. Well, Angela, on last week's episode, we discussed the means of grace and spent most of that episode talking about the first type of means of grace known at the, as the works of piety. Today, we're turning to the prudential means of grace, or what we know as the works of mercy. While these are more outwardly focused in nature, they're still means by which God's grace can work within us, uh, just as much as that same grace works through us towards others. So some of the activities included in these works of mercy would include things like working with the poor, serving on a mission trip, speaking out on social justice issues, or even standing up for someone who is vulnerable. These are more of the outward and visible actions. You know, when we think about works of piety, we often think about those more private, personal things yes. uh, like prayer. You know, Jesus says, don't pray like those who stand up in the marketplaces and then in the outward areas of the community and sort of forcefully pray but no, go into, you know, a place of secret, to a yes. closet, to an area where you can be alone with God the Father. So, you know, while we think about, you know, sort of piety as those sort of inward, more invisible things that go on within our spirituality, what we're talking about today is more of those outward and visible actions, those, those acts of service directed towards others focused on, you know, loving God through loving our neighbor. But it's not just about works. It's about what happens through that. And we'll get into that. Yes, we will. <laughs> well, for United Methodist, holiness involves more than one's personal relationship with God. I mean, our personal relationship with God is, right, important, but it's not the only important thing. Right. Uh, holiness grows out of one's personal relationship with God, but it is social. Uh, that is, it propels us into this faith that involves others. Uh, in preaching on the Sermon on the Mount, John Wesley said this, Christianity is essentially a social religion, and to turn it into a solitary religion is indeed to destroy it. And he also wrote, the gospel of Christ knows no religion but social, no holiness but social holiness. And so United Methodists seek the sanctification of, of all that life touches. We view all life as having sacred worth. And we believe that God desires the whole, full life for all of God's creation, for all of God's created people. And, and that word sanctification is so important. And we'll, we'll explore this in more detail. But the idea is that things are changing. You know, sanctification is the process of becoming holy. And, and John Wesley saw this as a need in the community and the surrounding areas around him. He looked out and saw broken lives and broken systems. And so his preaching was focused on sanctification, not only of people, but of community. 
you know, John Wesley did not shy away from speaking out on the ills in society in his 1700s context. Mm-hmm. You know, he spoke out about slavery, uh, poverty, alcohol abuse, prison reform, war, politics, and even the issues surrounding education. Uh, I know that, you know, there were issues in terms of all of these sort of you know, going together in some way that poverty and education and alcohol, these all sort of swam in the same lanes. They were interconnected. And he saw these as preventing human beings from, uh, you know, receiving or even benefiting from God's ongoing grace. Um, you know, most of these issues are still relevant today. His goal was not to sort of achieve some sort of liberalism within society, Uh, But instead to bring God's grace to everyone and to make the world reflect God's kingdom a little bit more. He seemed to see that the work of holiness was not just in transforming the Christian himself or herself, but also to transform the world. And not everyone was welcoming of Wesley's social meddling. No, they were not. And, and it's kind of the same way today. You know, here in the Bible Belt, uh, there's often this plea to not mix religion and politics. Uh, several years ago at another church, uh, I had this member who got upset with me because I had I had taken the stand about a social issue that um, the state of Alabama was facing at that time. And uh, and he certainly did not agree with my position, but to his credit, he did come and, and talk with me about it. But he made that statement. He said, I don't like religion to mess with my politics. You know, and I grinned and I said, well, I don't like my politics to mess with my religion. You know, so in the end, we had to agree to disagree. Uh, but for almost 100 years, groups that now form the United Methodist Church have stated principles for social justice. And uh, of course, we know this document as the social principles, and it's a part of the book of discipline. Uh, these statements are adopted by the General Conference every four years, and they represent the only official point of view of the denomination. If you go and read those social principles, you'll discover that they are a prayerful and thoughtful effort on the part of the General Conference to speak to the human issues in the contemporary world from a sound biblical and theological foundation. And they are a call to all of us as members of the United Methodist Church to a prayerful, studied dialogue of faith and practice, even if we don't agree with one another. (laughs) And I think that that approach says something about the way that United Methodists try to, you know, work in collaboration with Mm -hmm. others, that these statements are Um, you know, worded and voted upon and prayed over by people on varying, um, you know, sides of the political aisle. And not only that, but people around the world who see them from different uh, viewpoints, because Mm -hmm. not everybody in the United Methodist General Conference is from the United States. You know, we have growing attendance in Africa, uh, in Eastern Europe and in Southeast Asia. And, you know, these folks are participating in this dialogue. They are participating in the viewpoints and stances uh, that are put together by the social principles. So let's be honest that, you know, 
whether it be people who go to general conference or people in our local churches, you know, some people take sides first and then try to use their religion to support their arguments. You know, and I think that we need to reflect upon the witness of John Wesley here because Wesley worked tirelessly to ensure that his social focus was biblically based. You know, we talked about early on in in this second season of the podcast, John Wesley's efforts to sort of get back to that primitive religion. And we don't mean, you know, uh, not not intellectual. (laughs) What we mean is sort of the earliest form of of Christianity, that it's Mm -hmm. focused on gospel and, you know, what's the true message of Jesus and what did the early church actually practice and what did it look like? This is his, his understanding of that primitive religion. And when he did this sort of uh, research and thoughtful, prayerful uh, engagement, what he found was is that there are things from the gospel that directly, um, you know, conflict with the way the world is uh, and that it doesn't fit the vision of what God wants for our world to be like. You know, through his own preaching and teaching, we inherit an understanding that God's kingdom can, will, and already is transforming our world. So this understanding of not only what the gospel directs us to personally and socially, but also what Wesley's understanding is about how God's grace is out ahead of us already doing this work. And so in a way, God's (laughs) grace is already confronting the things that we're arguing about before we come up with a stance of what our social (laughs) principles should be. So in a way, we're sort of prayerfully trying to catch up with what God is doing and what God is leading us uh, to in the world. So, you know, United Methodists um, in the, in the, you know, tradition of John Wesley, look at Jesus as one who heals, who forgives, who restores, who is uh, just and fair. And especially if he is our judge, you know, we want him to be just (laughs) and fair. Uh, We see Jesus as one who seeks the lost and stands for the forgotten and oppressed. Uh, United Methodists have historically worked to bring justice uh, and to be advocates for any mission or system that focuses on healing, education, or restoration. You know, I think about how the United Methodists were involved in healthcare for so long, providing uh, health, uh, um, you know, care and doctors and nurses, even here in Birmingham with the old Caraway Methodist mm-hmm. Hospital. Yeah. Or, you know, how in the Midwest, I know at least in Kansas, United Methodists were some of the first groups to set up schools for the Native American populations there. Uh, and educated them because they cared about, you know, uh, helping people have the education that they need to thrive within our society. So, you know, we we need to understand that this is part of the way in which United Methodists work, that it is not sim- simply about engaging in politics, but sometimes it's saying this is broken in the world and we are not going to wait for anyone else to do something. We're going to step right. in and provide something. Now, we have failed uh, in some ways over time, allowing our own prejudices or fears to become like man-made dams trying to hold back God from doing what God wants to or from God leading the church to go where he wants to in terms of social interaction and bringing blessing to people. 
even sadly sometimes trying to hold back God's grace from other people. Uh, Think about how our denomination split in the 1800s over slavery, forming the Methodist Episcopal Church North and the Methodist Episcopal Church South. Uh, United Methodists in the Bible Belt have from time to time allowed our context, our culture, our viewpoints to overpower our reading of Jesus and his mission. And that's sad. And we need to admit that. Mm -hmm. But we also need to understand that that is not just something to repent of, but to live in actual repentance of it and to not make that error again. Yeah. To not go back, right? To turn as the as repentance means to turn away. Uh, well, we forget, don't we, that Jesus' work was also about the redemption of, of the whole created order. Uh, the theological term for this is entire sanctification, which means the full love of God and the full love of neighbor. And, you know, you got to have both of those. You know, if, if you don't love your neighbor, you can't fully love God. And goodness gracious, if you don't love God, sometimes you can't fully love your neighbor. Uh, so both are important. Uh, persons in the Wesleyan family use Christian perfection as another way of speaking of entire sanctification. Uh, and this Perfection does not mean that we are free of error or ignorance or temptation, but Wesley meant for this perfection to mean that we strive to be perfect in our intent to love God and neighbor. And so it is a call to complete love. Um, We know that in our doctrinal heritage statement for the United Methodist Church, we have these words. New birth is the first step in this process of sanctification. Sanctification draws us toward the gift of Christian perfection, which Wesley described as a heart habitually filled with the love of God and neighbor and as having the mind of Christ and walking uh, as he walked. We understand that as United Methodists, you know, our doing is not a way to just earn some gift from God, uh, but it's a sign that, that, like you said earlier, God's gift of grace is already at work within God's people. And and I think this is, Angela, such a good thing to point out because we are going to talk a little bit later about the importance of unity within the Christian family, you know, across denominational divides. But you know, within even the divisions that exist between denominations, this is one thing that Methodists get called out about is our focus on social uh, means of grace, our works of mercy, and this sort of understanding that we're all about the things, we're all about the actions, we're all about the works, mm-hmm. you know. And again, that goes back to when we first talked about where we got the name Methodism, you know, John and Charles Wesley and others at Oxford were the ones, you know, going to the prisons and going to the hospitals and going to the orphanages, just as much as they were getting together to read scripture and pray together. They were people of action and that's who we are. And so, you know, one of the things that another denomination may say about uh, Methodists is that, you know, our works of piety and works of mercy sure seem like methods to earn God's love. They point out that United Methodists love the New Testament book of James, which, you know, is controversial to some <laughs> denominations yes. because it doesn't seem to focus only on grace. Um, you know, James says faith without works is dead. And, you know, 
I have my own opinions about what James means there. I think what he's basically saying is that, like you said, if we don't love God, it's hard to love your neighbor. And if you don't love your neighbor, it's hard to love God. Mm-hmm. These mm-hmm. things uh, have a, a way of relating to one another. Faith without works, you know, is it really faith? Does it really transform your heart? Does it really transform the way that you uh, see the world through God's graceful vision? Um, so, you know, works are not a way to earn grace. No, James says that faith without works is dead. So, you know, the key is faith. It's how these two interact. You know, <laughs> United Methodist theology says nothing about earning God's love. Uh, in fact, our doctrinal heritage, <laughs> even our wording in, in our communion liturgy underscores that we cannot earn God's grace or love, that they are free gifts. What we believe is that these works, works of piety, and today as we're talking about works of mercy, are a means by which we receive God's love and grace and also pass it on to others. They are conduits. We said, you know, last week that they are channels. If we sit on our couches or on the sidelines, we greatly diminish the possibility of encountering God's life-changing grace, and we will not progress as much as God desires for us on the road to Christian perfection, as you described it. You know, we just had Super Bowl Sunday last Sunday. Can you imagine what it would have been like if half the players didn't even ever get on the field, that they stood on the sidelines? I think the game would be very one-sided. <laughs> that's the point. You know, if, if we are faithful people, but we never enter into the arena of God's kingdom as it is coming into fruition, you know, we're missing that opportunity for God's grace to continue to move us and to shake us and to transform us. You know, sanctification is not just about, you know, renewing our minds and renewing our hearts. It's about renewing our focus, renewing our lifestyle to be bent out towards others mm-hmm. in love. The works of mercy are means of grace, and they are vital to the witness of the fullness of Christ and his gospel and his kingdom. As James might say, a church without works is dying on the vine. Yeah, so one of the things that we might wonder after all this talk for two episodes about means of grace and transformation and perfection is how do we know that God is working in our lives. Uh, Wesley believed that God's grace not only transformed us, but also gave us assurance that grace is working in our lives. But he came to that belief through a struggle of his own. I mean, he didn't always feel that way for himself and, and you know, about his witness. Um, we in the Methodist Church... I guess it would be commemorate, not really celebrate, mm-hmm. uh, Aldersgate Day. Um, this is uh, named after Wesley's uh, experience on Aldersgate Street in London. Uh, he reluctantly, and, and I like that it says he reluctantly went. I mean, John Wesley, John Wesley didn't always want to go to small group or Bible study, but he did. Anyway, he went anyway that night. Uh, And as he heard a reading 
from Luther's preface to the Epistle to the Romans, he said he felt his heart strangely warmed. And he wrote in his journal that night that uh, at about 8.45 p.m., while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. And so uh, this gift of assurance is understood to be uh, the normal experience of folks who are justified, who have come to faith, who are justified by God's good grace. Uh, but sometimes we are like Wesley, you know, we have to go through that uh, that struggle and, and our own way of coming to that place where we do believe that. Uh, you know, we've heard the phrase, fake it till you make it, you know, and Wesley said, you know, preach like you have faith and you'll have faith, you know. Um, Fanny J. Crosby wrote one of our favorite hymns, I think, here in the Methodist Church that kind of captured both themes of perfection and uh, assurance. Uh, and of course, the song is Blessed Assurance. Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. Beautiful words, mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. So <clears throat> to recap, we have uh, spent the past two episodes talking really about these works of piety and works of mercy, how important it is for us to have a personal and a corporate way of growing in love of God, as well as uh, talking about what it means to grow in our love of others and allowing God to transform us through those actions. It's not just about the work that we do. It's what happens to us when we participate in it, that God can use both as channels for us. You know, I think about often a, a, a moment from my church history class in seminary where our professor at Duke University would tell us about St. Augustine and how his understanding of sin connected to his understanding of how God's grace can correct us or, you know, in a way, sanctify us, right? <laughs> to make us more holy, right. uh, to move us towards perfection. And mm -hmm. uh, the understanding in Latin uh, is that St. Augustine said that we are curved in upon ourselves, that in curvatus in si, mm -hmm. and that, you know, we sort of hunch over, we curve in upon ourselves. And whenever you think about someone who's greedy, they're normally hunched over a little bit, hugging their, their precious things. I mean, think about Gollum from the Lord of the Rings, you know, hunched over the ring, hunched over the money, hunched over whatever it is that you love. And, right. and, and you're sort of on a defensive, you're sort of holding it close to yourself. And, and you know, St. Augustine said that this is what sin does to us, that we, we really turn away from God and turn away from other people. And we want to protect ourselves and what we want and what we desire. And that the work of God's grace is to protect or pr to correct our posture, to, to mm -hmm. sort of make us stand up well again and to open our arms so that we can look up to God. We can love God. We can praise God. We can interact with God. And, you know, when we're not hunched over, our bodies are more open, you know, that when we're standing more uh, upright, 
our hands are more able to reach out in love and service to others. This is what we're talking about, that this is an opportunity for us as Christians as we grow to continue to allow God's grace to transform us from the inside out. You know, as we've been doing this, we've been talking for this month about what it means to be a Christian from, you know, the perspective of United Methodism, specifically uh, through Joyner's book, as we look at what it means to be United Methodist in the Bible Belt. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I want to be careful that while you and I as United Methodist clergy are proud of uh, where we uh, have planted ourselves or maybe where yes. God has planted us, yes. um, and we're proud and, and thankful for our theological heritage, um, you know, at the same time, this has not been an exercise in trying to pat ourselves on the back for our good theology, <laughs> even though we're proud. Yes. Uh, we love our theological heritage. Mm -hmm. It's not just a, a situation where we're trying to sit here and talk about why we're the best. I am adamant that being United Methodist is a specific and unique expression of being a much more universal thing, a Christian in the world-wide body of Christ. Yeah, well, you know, maybe you've noticed as you've read through uh, the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed, uh, each contain the word Catholic. Uh, one holy Catholic church, or I believe in the holy Catholic church. And you may have also noticed that there's an asterisk by the word Catholic. And then down at the bottom of the page, there appears this note. Catholic means universal. And so the word Catholic, with a little c, uh, is not meant to denote the Roman Catholic Church, but rather God's universal church throughout the world. United Methodists have always believed in uh, the universal church, and because of that have always been part of the major expressions of ecumenical Christianity. Now, ecumenical means the whole uh, inhabited world literally uh, the whole house. And uh, you might also hear in the word ecumenical, the word economy, uh, because both words come from the same root. Uh, economy, as you know, means the management of the whole house. Uh, and so God's economy is how God manages the world. And so ecumenical movements are efforts to reflect how God brings unity from diversity. Uh, in his sermon, Catholic Spirit, uh, Wesley draws on a text from 2 Kings 10, 15, which says this, uh, when he left there, he met Jehonadab, son of Rechab, coming to meet him. He greeted him and said to him, is your heart as true to mine as mine is to yours? And Jehonadab answered, it is. Jehu said, if it is, give me your hand. And so he gave him his hand. Now, although Wesley fudged a bit on, on the context of the verse, he did draw some helpful ideas about what it means to share in uh, a Catholic spirit. Uh, does Catholic spirit mean, give me your hand if you have the same opinion as I do? No, no. Uh, does Catholic spirit mean give me your hand if you worship in the same mode as I do? No, it does not. Uh, does Catholic spirit mean I am unsure 
about what I believe. I'm wishy-washy. No, it does not. (laughs) Uh, The Catholic spirit to which the United Methodist family is called is to be one whose heart is enlarged toward all, uh, those we know and those we don't know. And so it means showing kindness toward our neighbors and our strangers, as well as our friends and our enemies. Well, and and one thing that people may not be aware of is that our Council of Bishops uh, is actively engaged with other denominations, talking to them, learning from them, and sharing our perspectives so that we can work out what it means to be, you know, in a way, a, a fractured worldwide body of Christ. You know, we have an ecumenical spirit, but we're not completely joined with everybody around the world. Um, in anything other than our beliefs and our baptisms. You know, there are differences in how we order the church and how we practice ministry. We understand that. But, you know, we're actively engaged in ecumenical work. In fact, one of the bishops who is assigned to do ecumenical work is right here in the Bible Belt. In fact, right here in the same city that we're in, in Birmingham. Uh, he, of course, during a pandemic, doesn't travel as much, but he's one of the people that will fly from Birmingham to the Vatican every now and then or, you know, go to visit other people uh, around the world in terms of what it means for the United Methodist Church to be in conversation with other mm-hmm. denominations. And so that is very interesting, of course. Mm-hmm. You know, and I just think that that states or that undergirds our understanding of what it means to up, uh, uphold and build up and equip the church, the Catholic, lowercase c, <laughs> uh, worldwide universal church. We are all supposed to engage in conversation and, and you know, allow disagreement that we don't have to agree on everything within the larger universal church. But what I do think there is no room for is um, mean-spirited attacks or for calling some groups or denominations out for uh, what it is that they, in our minds, get wrong. Mm-hmm. I, listen, I know we're going to have, you know, disagreements. I know we're going to have things that we um, really feel passionate about. But it doesn't mean that we have a green light to then be mean-spirited to others, uh, to other denominations, mm-hmm. to other people. I remember even early on, in, in my sort of exposure to other denominations, I was a freshman in college and, you know, I'd grown up in this uh, United Methodist Church, St. John's United Methodist Church in Aiken, South Carolina. And I grew up in that, that place where most people felt the way I did. Most people understood God the way I did. And I went to college and I went to one of these large you know, college ministries that are definitely not Methodist. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, it was in a movie theater. And I've always thought that was, you know, very odd at that time. Why were Christians gathering in a movie theater? Didn't they have churches? (laughs) Um, And I guess it was because it was an easy place for people to come. They wouldn't have to go through the doors of the church the first time. They came to a movie theater and there was a pastor and a worship leader up uh, at the the uh, bottom of the uh, theater where the screen was. And I remember this moment where... Um, the uh, the pastor was speaking at this college in Columbia, South Carolina, and talking about these other denominations and how wrong they were and how bad they were and how you have to defend yourself against them. And again, there's nothing wrong with saying this is what you believe and right. this is why you believe it or why you could believe it. Yeah. Um, 
I just remember that leaving such a bad taste in my mouth that there were groups uh, within the worldwide church who did not see us as brothers and sisters, even though we disagree. They saw us actually as foes um, to work against. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm thankful to be from a theological heritage where we're not going to be wishy-washy on what we believe, but we're certainly going to have an ecumenical Catholic spirit in our engagements with others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well... I like that United Methodists, you know, we, we say we don't check our brains at the door because we do want to engage. Uh, and that engagement can lead to such uh, an understanding about your own faith, you know, and can pull you into a, a deeper, uh, firmer, I think, understanding. Well, you know, when United Methodists are at their best, their spirit is of love. Uh, even when the tone of love is corrective or challenging. Uh, It's one thing to join other Christians in Christian work, but, you know, often the question comes up, how do we relate to persons who are not Christian? And, you know, Methodists believe that, uh, as we've been saying, it's important to always work at furthering dialogue with persons of other faiths, cultures, Uh, and ideologies. And the balance is between being neighbor and being a witness. And of course, the ingredient of those relationships uh, always has to be love. Uh, Well, we've talked about a lot today. And as always, we want to give you a couple of things that maybe you can take away and and work on if you so choose. Uh, One of those things is that uh, you might think about some issue or mission in which you have a great interest uh, and then talk with a, a Christian friend or a pastor to see if this interest might be a call from God for you to take action. Uh, and don't just stop with the talking and the affirmation of it. You know, seek seek those ways uh, of how to take that action uh, for those things. Um, and you also might start praying for those in your family or circle of friends who do not have a close relationship with Jesus. Um, and you can endeavor to be a good witness of what a close relationship with Jesus looks like. It just reminds me, you know, especially that last question or that last thing to uh, practice. It reminds me of a, a quote, I think that's from Billy Graham, and it's the idea that you're the only Bible that some people are ever going mm-hmm. to encounter, yeah. and uh, our witness matters. And so works of piety, works of mercy are not just about, right. you know, service to others, but they in some way can serve as a, a physical, visible demonstration of who God is Mm -hmm. and what God is about. Well, this has been a great study. And if you have not already picked up uh, Joyner's book, Being United Methodist in the Bible Belt, I highly encourage you to do so. Now, next Wednesday uh, actually starts the season of of Lent within the church, Mm -hmm. and that's starting with Ash Wednesday. And Angela, I think our next study should be something that has a more Lenten flair uh, yes. to it. I yeah. think we need to enter into the season of Lent on Ash Wednesday with something new on the podcast. Yeah. Well, how about Walter Brueggemann's book, A Way Other Than Our Own? Uh, God has always called people out of their safe 
walled cities uh, into uncomfortable places, revealing paths that they would have never chosen. And we often stick our heels in the sand, and and he has to kind of drag us along in that sometimes. But uh, as Christians, we are called to walk a path of humility and justice and peace. Uh, And so Brueggemann's book of Reflections for the Season of Lent invites us to consider the challenges that come along with that, um, while also pointing out what a beautiful path it can be when we walk the way of grace. So uh, we hope you'll join us for that podcast series during the season of Lent. Well, uh, this has been a good start to the second season of Table Talk with Mike and Angela. We are thankful that you have journeyed with us to this point. If you are just joining our podcast, go back and listen to the first three episodes and catch up with your understanding of being United Methodist in the Bible Belt. And don't forget, you can dis- you can subscribe to the Tabletop Podcast on most major podcasting apps. We hope to see you next week.